Good morning. I'd like you to choose if that's alright because I'm thinking maybe somewhere that's got a little bit of shade. I mean my special place is Madden Primrose Stones but it's a long way. <laughs> it's not too bad. I mean I'm happy to go there if you are but uh, do you think we can get a, we probably get a little bit of shade there can't we? Under the, we sit under the rocks mm. somewhere. I'm just thinking by the time we get there it's going to be about 20 odd degrees isn't it? Yeah. I mean I don't mind the sunshine. No, I don't either. I've got some cream on, so... Nope. Okay, let's do it! <laughs> Put the on I've brought us to Madwoman Stones, um, sort of north-east side of Kinder. And really, I'm just attracted by the name. <laughs> it's a very, got a very puerile sense of humour. So it kind of amuses me that they're called Madwoman Stones. I don't think there's a specific history to the name, but I've always been attracted to this bunch of rocks right on the northeastern side of Kinder to the extent that I used to come here every single birthday come rain or shine I would come up here with a friend or whoever and make sure they brought a birthday cake it's been just part of my personal history for many many years so when I'd had my 50th which I had a few years ago in Edale I had a huge bunch of women up here celebrating. I uh, got some really good photos and really good memories of that trip. Had uh, the most beautiful weather as well which always helps. So that's where we are and we can see so much today. It's so clear and bright and sunny. So we can see straight over to Oldport Castle, Bleak Glow, easterly towards the Derwent Edge and that and back into the interior which we've just crossed which was amazing. Um, I think we both realised that we'd never seen sh such amazing cotton grass ever on Kinder. So that's, there's always a first to be had. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, obviously, it's a lot of it is down to all of those volunteers who came up and plugged those cotton grass in individually. And it has just, there's a whole sea of cotton grass out there at the moment. And it was just that spur of the moment decision to come away from Druid Stone and instead of coming along the footpath just to go straight across the middle which uh, was so worth it and that's the joy of kinder that you can just go off at a tangent and get that feeling of space and remoteness and these beautiful scenes that you don't really expect so anytime I come to kinder it's always there's always something incredible you know it's never the same it's really astounded me that today we've crossed and we don't have even a droplet of water on our on our shoes. We don't have wet feet, <laughs> even though we've crossed over from one side of the plateau to the other. You wouldn't have been able to do that, I don't think, 20 years ago. So, yes, it's been amazing. It's very dry, which is nice because you have no fear of sinking into anything and it makes it easier to cross. But we could see Madelman Stones in the distance. Um, and it looks really nearby and then of course you get to all the gruffs and you have to go down those and back up so it took a little bit longer than planned but well worth the diversion and I think for me that's what I love about kinder that it can be as as easy or as challenging as you want really and I prefer to just go off at a bit of a tangent and there's so much more of kinder that I haven't even walked even though I've been coming here for a long time it's not always an adventure to be had. It was very crunchy underfoot today. 
How would you compare that with some of the other times that you've walked across here? That was the driest ever. There's always some aspect of having to be really wary of where you put your feet. I suppose a long time ago, when I first came up to Kinder, it used to be really boggy. Even the main paths, you know, along the edges. And I'm sure you've heard this from other people, but it used to be just a quagmire and it was the path was getting wider and wider and wider and boggier and boggier and boggier and people were getting more and more you know making it even worse by trying to avoid the worst bits of it so it was just getting wider so although paving slabs aren't great um, they do have their advantages because that edge path now is so manageable it's really a delight to walk there's still some bits, aren't there, around wool packs that occasionally get a bit boggy, but it's nothing like what it was before, which is brilliant. What first brought you here? I feel a bit of a fraud, you know, all your other guests are like, oh, I was brought by <laughs> by school or I came on DBE or my parents dragged me up here. I was dragged up here at the ripe old age of 39. I was, at that point, I was a mountain guide for Exodus and all of my work was abroad, so it seemed really odd to people that I didn't know England or Britain at all in terms of walks. So I'd never been to the Peak District before then. And I was about to move to Sheffield, and I was brought to Kinder Scout for my first ever Peak District walk. And it was the classic, going from Edale, coming up Grindsbrook along the tops through the wool packs, no stool and pack down Jacob's ladder, which is like the classic kinder walk, the most popular one I would think. And it was that was my first walk. That was my first introduction to the Peak District. And I just loved it. The fact that it seemed like a fairly straightforward walk, but then you get to the bouldery bit at the top of Grindsbrook and then you get to the wool packs and and there were it was you know, peaty and boggy at that time. And the views and just, it feels really remote, even though it's, you know, half an hour from Sheffield. It felt really remote and it was lovely because it was my introduction to the peaks. And since then, that was 20 years ago, I've been back many times, as you know. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you bring others here as well. Did that experience surprise you considering how close it was to Sheffield and being in the Peak District when maybe other national parks are celebrated more for their for the mountains and the remoteness. Did it was it a pleasant surprise? It was. I hadn't really had any preconception of what the Peak District would be like. I'd not really you know, I'd not really walked in any other national park, particularly in the in the UK. So for me that time and especially since that time coming back and being more confident going off into the interior, it just feels so remote. And that's what I really love about it, that this big featureless plateau, which people are a bit scared of, has just so much to offer. And especially if you're quite comfortable going off path and you're quite comfortable navigating, then it has so much to offer and it just feels really remote. I mean, we're up here on a Friday afternoon 
nobody else around. It's just glorious. And to find that, you know, within half an hour of Sheffield and I'm not sure how far it is from Manchester, but it's not much further, to have that sense of there's nobody around. There's just nature and these amazing views. It always really touches me. As you know, you've seen me many times on Kinder leaping about, <laughs> <laughs> bouncing around with joy. It just brings me such pleasure. I don't, I, and I don't really, I can't put my finger on why, but I just think it's that remoteness, that sort of sense that you're just in nature. And I'm not really that sort of, I don't feel like in that soppy, <laughs> connected way I just really really there's something definitely does connect with me up here because I just as soon as I'm up here I'm just bouncing about <laughs> as you've seen yeah I, I remember when I was on your silver navigation course and we were up on not quite on the top of Grindslow Knoll but near the water pools that are up there I think we were sat down probably having a tea break and it was quite claggy and a bit chilly. <laughs> it was winter, <laughs> um, so it's to be expected. And you sat there and you, and you were just looking around and you said, I'm as happy as a pig in muck. <laughs> I'm not sure that was the word I used. But yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to be polite. <laughs> yeah. And, and, I just, and I just looked at you and I, and I just thought, yeah, you, you get it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, it just comes to me suddenly that sort of, this is so special. And I know it was, wasn't the best weather. We were heading out for a day of navigation and it was going, going to go into night. So it's a bit daunting. And we're going to go into the middle to look for the 636 peak, the highest point on Kinder. And we were sitting on a rock and it what yeah it was cold and it was a bit damp but I was in my element <laughs> I really and I love teaching navigation as well so that was part of it and especially people who don't know the area so well and even with the guided walking as well to bring people up here and for them to experience actually it's not as scary as it's made out to be and to be able to, I remember that day actually, because we got up to the 636 and uh, you guys were all on this bit of rock looking at, intently at the maps and the sun started to set and it was just spectacular. And that, that was a really nice day. I, that's the thing about Kinder. If you are confident enough to get around it, it just is so special. And one of the women on that course, I saw her a few weeks ago and she's still talks about and remembers that day of going on to the kinder at night and having that sunset and having that long discussion about a certain junction and wondering if we we're going to get back time for dinner <laughs> and it's that sort of that's what gives me a lot of pleasure when I'm leading or taking navigation that you can bring people to places that they wouldn't go on their own or they, they feel not confident enough to explore on their own and just give them that experience. Even a couple of weeks ago, I was up here with a small group and we were coming over to Mad Woman Stones. 
And I had some really lovely feedback about it, just saying it was a really special day. And I think part of that is having somebody who knows what they're doing most of the time uh, who will take you off the beaten track. So we went on the tracks all the way around to Madwoman Stones, but then we there's no particular track between here and getting back to the southern edge. So having to go a bit off-piste, something that people don't feel that comfortable with, you know, if they're on their own. And it's that kind of added bit that gives them the experience and the memories. And I remember doing that once with going to the 636 and going on a bearing from near Pim's chair. And that's what people remember. And that's why people pay guides. (laughs) to give them that experience and those memories because it's not the bore you know the sticking on the tracks and not that that's boring actually it's uh, spectacular as well but having that extra added experience really of going a bit off path into what feels very wild sometimes I do remember One time, uh, I had a guided walk and it was winter and we came across from Kindergate and we were coming across the middle and these women had gone ahead and suddenly there was a shout, Claire, Claire! And somebody had gone through the ice and the boot had got stuck in the peat. Somebody had run to help and obviously they'd gone in as well. So there's this sort of carnage going on. Domino effect. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one after the other. Uh, so I ended up having to, on my hands and knees, having to dig through the peat and trying to get a, get a shoe out and a boot out. And um, <laughs> we got it out and it was, uh, she was fine. She just had a very wet boot and sock. But it's those sort of things that people still think, still somebody mentioned that to me the other week. That was about, I don't know, 10 years ago that happened. So it's the bits that go a little bit wrong. That <laughs> are the special bits about getting it. What amazes me that if you sink your boot or your leg <laughs> into the peat, it amazes me how clean your leg can come out. <laughs> the peat just seems to kind of fall fall away, just left with this sort of tea-stained sock. <laughs> People pay good money to have that sort of treatment. (laughs) (laughs) I did have one woman who did actually sink quite a long way and she couldn't get out. She was one of her legs, I think, was up to her thigh. So we had to haul her out. And she was was actually a bit shaken by that. But generally, especially now, as I keep saying, now this all this restoration has happened, you very rarely come across really deep peat, even in the interior. I say that, I'll probably go and fall into one now. (laughs) (laughs) So as somebody who travels the world on a regular basis, because you offer guided walking trips all over the world, and you go off and and do your recce, but also you offer trips that are in other parts of England, and Scotland, in fact. So as someone who is worldly, (laughs) what... What do you think it is that makes you want to return to Kinder Scout? Is it because it's local to you? Is that the only reason? I think there's definitely something else. I'm, I can't put my finger on what it is, but if I have a day off, I will come to Kinder and I'll 
I never get tired of it. And there is there's so much of it that I still don't know. I mean, people say to me, aren't you bored of going to Kinder Scout? And I always say no, because it's so, you know, I only really know the eastern side. So maybe from Crowden Head East, I know pretty well. The bit of above Kindergate, I don't know at all. It's kind of the furthest away bit for me. So there's always more to explore. I mean, I was up at the Far Trig with you the other week. That was the first time in like, I remember that I've been there. So there's so much variety. I think with Kinder, what attracts me is you can make it as easy or as difficult as you want. Not difficult, but challenging. So if I just want a nice walk, I might just come up, come up Grinesbrook or come at Ringing Roger and stick to the edges. And it, it's just the views as well. I mean, the most amazing scenery all around. If I want something more challenging, I might scramble up one of the gullies. So the top of Crowden Tower, I remember doing that when I was very, very new to the peaks. And we'd come up Crowden, Bro uh, Crowden Clough, and we'd gone up the tower. And there was this little hole between the rocks that you had to squeeze through. And I was just too short to reach it. Mm -hmm. So somebody had to get my leg and push me up there through this sort of pillowcase-sized gap in the rocks. So there's challenging in terms of terrain, but there's also challenging in terms of coming off and trying to do navigation. So I lead some navigation courses up here, mainly the gold level, uh, so the harder stuff. And the navigation side, in, if I come individually, I just really enjoy walking on a bearing to a stone. I mean, the Aztec stone I hadn't been to before. So that was nice to come up and have something new to go for. Um, so it's just, it has many facets, you know. It's, it's On the surface, it just seems like a really big plateau of nothingness. But there's so much you can get out of it and it can be as challenging as you want your day to be. And there's nothing better than just sitting in a, a gruff. <laughs> and you kind of even when you're walking through them, you come you come along and you sink into a gruff and there's just it's like an another world. It's just so alien with the peat on the each side and the, you know, there can be six, eight foot hags. <laughs> These were all new words for me when yeah. I... <laughs> very uh, peak district. I'm always just so happy when I come up here. I don't think, even when it's bad weather, when you can't see anything. I think one of our... I've been teaching new navigation over the years, and I think one of the best ones when was that really claggy day when there was fog and we couldn't see Mad Woman Stones, and we... It was just great you know <laughs> I loved it when you would just point at the map and just go take me here it was just to some point on a like on a contour line and oh yeah and it, it was really good challenge for me yeah I think it you know especially for navigation it's a challenging place especially if the clouds down but it's always good to be challenged when you when you're learning that sort of thing because actually it's only in challenging situations when you're gonna need really need the skills and having learned in the, that environment makes you realize that actually i can do it you know i've just I've just navigated to that contour line in the fog 
so if it comes up again and, and I'm not with this guide then I'll be fine it gives you a lot of confidence do you generally get a mixed response from the people that you're teaching navigation to like when especially when you bring them to kinder scout do do you think people love it straight away does do you think it grows on some people do you think some people find it really frustrating in particular weather conditions what what do you witness i think most people really love it i mean it's it's coming on a navigation course is really a big step for people especially if they're beginners you know it's a big leap to put yourself out there learning a new skill especially if you haven't done any navigation before or you've only done it at school by the time they get to kinder level you know i wouldn't bring a bring anybody who's a beginner up here they're on to their maybe their third course or they've got experience beforehand so they know that the course is on kinder scout and they know it's on kinder scout for a reason because it's really tricky and i think it brings them real joy and pleasure to get things right <laughs> and to realize that you know it can be done you can find that little ring contour in the middle of a peak bog and you can find that channel of water and they just get it's being very immersed in the moment so I find especially when I'm navigating the weather doesn't really impact you know you, you go out and you think oh no it's pouring down but actually you're so focused on maps and finding your way and looking at the environment that the weather doesn't really affect you too much I do remember one woman saying she wanted to cry when I got my contour only map out <laughs> <laughs> so there's this wonderful map by Harvey so it's just the contours of kinder and I do use it on the gold course and it has no other details so you have to really focus on the shapes and she said the second I, she got it, I got it out the first time and she was a bit shocked and then she just wanted to cry when I got it out again <laughs> not really the, the plan I had in mind to make my customers cry but <laughs> Why do you think it is that it's such an emotional experience for people? Because when you first asked me if I'd like to do the bronze course, I was so reluctant and I have my own reasons for that, which looking back seem kind of silly <laughs> because of what this has opened up for me now, mm. you know, and it was all to do with just not wanting to look stupid, basically. Do you think that's the same for a lot of people? What why do you think it is such a it's almost like people have to like let go of something to allow themselves to go and start something new yeah i think it's it is that fear of putting yourself out there and exposing yourself in a way that isn't really comfortable so i would hope i mean i lead the courses in a very relaxed way so pretty quickly people do relax but coming into it you do feel vulnerable I suppose um, it's like learning anything new if you haven't studied for a long time and you're suddenly in a situation where it feels I suppose it be, to begin with it feels like it's a bit of a classroom situation although I try to make it more uh, enjoyable 
I think people are just, I, I mean, I don't know if I'd come on a navigation course. <laughs> I know when I had to do my gold assessment uh, to, to deliver the gold and I came up on kinder, it's very exposing and you just think, oh, you know, I, I have a bit of imposter syndrome and I think, am I good enough to do this? Have I got the knowledge? And I think for people learning, it's it's just really, you just feel very vulnerable and I really admire people who come along. Having said that, when they go away, they're very pleased they've come <laughs> and they do get so much out of it, even a day's course, uh, but especially the two-day courses. You get so much knowledge and that's one of my main joys, I think, of teaching is that people go away skilled up, you know, ready to go, enthusiastic about being outdoors, trying to find their own roots and having that bit of confidence to get themselves out there. So yeah, it's. But I remember your mother coming on one of my courses, mm. and I think she felt the same. Very sort of, oh, you know, what am I doing here? Um, <laughs> is, is it going to be like being at school? Uh, so it's a big leap, and I really do ad admire and thank everybody who does make that step. But they're doing it for a reason. Normally, they want to be more confident outdoors. They want to be able to plan their own walks they want that freedom that that bit of skill and that bit of knowledge will give you so if i was coming up on kinder i always say this to people because there's this there's this real sense that kinder is super dangerous and unnavigable unnavigable <laughs> you can't find your way around basically um and i just say to people well if you can work out where north is and you can work out where south is, you can just head to the edge. So if you've got into the middle and you're a bit confused, if you came up from Edale, it's going to be to the south of where you are. And if you came up from the Snake Pass, it's north. So you just head to the edge. And when you get to the edge, you've got far more clues about how to get down you can use the shape of the land, all these uh, inlets and cluffs that you can use to find your way around. So even if you don't have a compass, you could use the sun. So, you know, say it's two o'clock now. If I pointed my little hand of my watch to the sun, then south would be midway between that and midday. So that would tell me where south was. Some people have a natural sense of where the sun is and what direction they must be looking in. I don't, and I don't, I never had a sense of any natural <laughs> sense of direction. Kinder Scout is narrow for the most part, you know, this side. It's not very far to get from one side to the other. So knowing that if you're a bit confused, a bit lost in the middle, then just heading back to that, either the north or south edge is the way to go. Do you think sometimes it's the stories that people hear about, for example, from the mountain rescue teams? Definitely. I mean, I've been up here so many times and people have come and said, is this the way down? <laughs> <laughs> and you think, well, that depends where you came from. It looks very straightforward when you start off in Grindsburg and you've got that lovely paved path. And then it gets a bit trickier because it's a bit eroded as you come up the, the um, valley. But then you get to those great big boulders and 
people come up here in all sorts of, you know, inappropriate footwear. <laughs> and it is tricky. So you get to that bit and then that's a bit tricky. And then you get to the top. And it's fairly logical the way round if you're following the edges. But then again, people come off at the wrong direction when they get up to the top of Grimesbrook and they end up on Grimeslow Knoll instead of going towards Jacob's Ladder. So it's confusing. Personally, I think the edges are fine, as long as you've got a bit of a sense of where you're going. Uh, always good to bring a map, whether you can read it or not. That's <laughs> an, another matter. But um, I would, it's not the easiest place to come, but it is achievable. But I think you have to have the right gear and a bit of common sense about you. What would you say are the essential things that you really need to have in your rucksack for firstly a safe day out here but also just an enjoyable day? Essential things are water, especially on a day like today it's quite hot which is nice. Food plus extra snacks, sort of high energy bars just in case you get caught out an extra layer in case it gets chilly you need I would always take a map and a compass but as I say you have to be able to use them a phone I am you know apps are great as well as long as you, could, you don't run out of signal I've had that before people coming up and saying that my phone's just died you know which way is it so a fully charged phone or at least a, a power bank or something in your bag I always take a small first aid kit just in case. 99% of the time I take a head torch. Maybe not so much if I'm just got a set short plan, but I think it just, especially in the autumn and winter, it can take that panic out of getting caught out in, as the sun comes down. So if you've got a head torch, you're kind of safe. You don't have to rush off the hillside and potentially harm yourself. So. A whistle to attract attention if I do get into trouble. Waterproofs. I haven't brought mine today. <laughs> You've risked it. Yeah. The forecast was so dry. It's like minus 5% chance oh, yeah. of rain. <laughs> <laughs> I would normally, I mean, I think 90% of the time I do take my waterproof. And I think it's a very British thing because <laughs> I was leading in doing the Camino de Santiago um, last year and we had two Americans and every day we'd be thinking is it going to rain and all the Brits would put their waterproofs in because <laughs> we're just so used to we're not used to having you know certainty of no rain so these Americans like oh god should we take our waterproofs <laughs> <laughs> so they'd put theirs in and it was just you know we never used them but yeah waterproof pretty much standard and I carry a small bivy bag for safety just in case you know you never know uh, anybody can take a tumble um, so I take a little it's like a foil line sleeping bag which only weighs a few ounces so I would always have that in my bag as well and a sun hat which I haven't got on <laughs> yeah I mean I think you need to be prepared for kinder it's not a walk in the park it's uh, you know even getting up onto the edge is going to take a good half an hour 40 minutes an hour so you have to be prepared and to have a level of fitness to be able to get up onto the top 
even to begin with. Although there are nice walks around Edale, aren't there, down in the valley as well. You can come up to Kinder from various different points. Is Edale your particular favourite or do you do you also enjoy coming up from Hayfield or from the Snake Pass? I just think I'm more familiar with the southern edge and that's partly because until a few years ago I didn't have a car so I was always reliant on public transport so I always came to Edale on the train and I think that's why most people end up coming over from Edale rather than from the Snake because there's no well there's very little transport over that side. I do prefer the southern ascents but I think it's just because I am familiar with them so I like coming up Grinesbrook and I like coming up the little right hand chute that comes off the top of Grinesbrook just at the top end I like coming up Jagger's Clough Crowden I like coming up Ringing Roger because it's the easiest way I think to get up on a lot of my walks that's the way I do come up there are so many ways to get up and again, you can make it as tricky as you want to. So some of them are just basic walks and others you have to use your hands a little bit. The northern edge, I don't really know as well. So, yeah, I wouldn't, I don't know, you know, seal edge, that sort of area. Still so much to explore, Sarah. <laughs> no. When am I going to fit it in? <laughs> but yeah, I think today, it's just familiarity. <laughs> familiarity rather than anything else and it feels I don't know it just feels a bit more achievable because it's linked to public transport and you've got Edale there at the end there's not so much on the other side so it's nice to come down into a village and have the option of you know going for a coffee or going to the toilet mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, being able to get the train to get home so yeah it's all I just I think I just depends on my mood which way I come up but I do use Ringing Roger a lot on my courses and on my day walks because it's an easy way to get up and it's fairly quick so people can get up onto the top and get the views. Do you ever see people looking horrified when they see the short scramble that goes up Ringing Roger or the scramble the grade one scramble up Grinesbrook Clough. Do you, do you see people's faces change when they see all those rocks and start to think about going up more steeply? Mm. I had, I remember one of my early walks when I was guiding, there was a woman who was just, she just couldn't quite get her head round scrambling up Grinesbrook and she was a bit terrified, but actually she did it. And again, it's something she still talks about, you know, a long, long time later. So I think those things, they sometimes look harder than they are. And as long as you're sensible and take it easy and, you know, look where you're putting your feet and getting your handholds, they're not, you know, graded scrambles as such. Are they? They're just sometimes you have to use your hands to get up. So I think they might look in terror when they see them, but actually they're really good fun, aren't they? They're sort of, they're the things that you remember. So she'll have remembered that from all of the walks that we did on that holiday. That's probably the bit that's stuck in her memory. That Because it feels like an achievement as well. So, uh, yeah, good fun. Do you feel like you need to have a lot of patience for what you do? Because you know how to 
navigate and because you know this area and you can maybe quite when you're on your own or with friends you might quite speedily just kind of get up here and within a few hours you know you're back you're back down at the pub or the cafe do you feel like it takes a certain temperament or attitude to be able to do what you do as a as a navigation teacher and a walking guide yeah I think I don't think you can be impatient as a guide or a navigating tutor um I'm incredibly patient much more than in my real life (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure some of my friends will recognize that Uh, I I kind of I'm very patient because my first walk which I have told many people about was in Nepal I wasn't prepared for it I was really struggling and my friend just kept leaving me behind (laughs) or that's how it felt now I realize that she was just going at her own pace which is fine so I've always had that kind of empathy for people who are struggling a bit or at the back so the walking walking wise I have a lot of patience for people who are you know who are struggling and I do I've slowed down massively since I was younger so I I never do speedy walks particularly and with the navigation I just think it's I remember going to an art class actually <laughs> compare it to this and we sat down it was our first time I hadn't been to an art class uh, I hadn't done any arts in school and the tutors gave us all these paintings and she just said oh so what do you think about the painting you've chosen and there was just silence because it it was just such a sudden question and she said something like nobody really answered and she said oh it's going to be a long course <laughs> and I thought you can't <laughs> how you know how that made us feel like oh okay <laughs> so there was no support there there was no sort of tuition or introduction to slow introduction to how you're supposed to interpret this this thing it was more instinctual I suppose uh, so I Everybody says to me, you're so patient. And I do stand around a lot on the <laughs> on navigation courses, just looking at the scenery, waiting, <laughs> sometimes for many minutes. Uh, <laughs> I, remember, I remember that when you were asking me to identify where a wall was or something and, you know, on the map, <laughs> matching it to the landscape. And I just could not. I was, well, to be honest, I was just too scared to even, like, make it, get it wrong. Not because you're scary, but just because I didn't want to get it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, from, you know, ultimately, you're teaching people who are then going to be going out on their own. So unless they've worked it out with themselves, they're not going to feel confident that they can do it so I can't just go in there and say no that's it or (laughs) you know you have to just step back and let those brain cells wear away (laughs) and you know give guidance if it's needed but not just tell people the answer so however long it takes you know if people do need support I will step in and give them some clues but Everybody says, I can't believe you're so patient. And then, you know, people who know me a bit better <laughs> really can't believe I'm so patient. But it's just part of the job. I mean, I think that's really important to give people the the time and not get impatient and just rush on. I never really rush anywhere these days. So. 
<laughs> suit to me. Mm-hmm. While you've been talking, I've been thinking about how learning navigation skills initially for me was to be able to get further, get to different places. It was all about destination, um, walking, running, to stretch out further so I could have more variety with my routes. But actually, what I've learned through the experience is slowing down and taking the time to notice things. And initially, I felt a resistance to that because I was always wanting to be on the move. It's always like, right, you know, where are we going to next? And it was that excitement to get to the next place. Whereas through the learning experience, it seems to have naturally invited me to slow down, to look, to be curious, to understand what's underneath my feet, what the rocks are made up of, and to think about their stories and how they've been weathered. Do you think, has that been true for you? And do you see that happen with other people maybe further down the line as they as they progress in their navigation. Yeah, so I've been a walking guide for, I think it's 24 years. And it's only in the last 10 maybe that I've really slowed down and started to think about nature and birds and taking all, you know, taking all of that in. I think before, especially when I was working abroad, it was just following routes. No, okay, the scenery's spectacular. But I've really slowed down and I love looking at the birds and the cotton grass and all the different types of moss and bracken and the rest of it. <laughs> I really, really slowed down and really appreciate them so much more. And I think people, when they're doing the navigation, and I've just been in Pembrokeshire this weekend and we did a little circuit, it was probably about a mile and a half. And somebody had done that circuit as a walk the day before and... We took about two hours <laughs> to get round that little circuit of uh, track. And we were just, because you're looking at the map, you're just noticing things a lot more. So you're noticing not only features on the map, but on the landscape. So she said, oh, I can't believe, you know, we, we just sort of rushed round here yesterday. And now I'm really looking and taking it in. So you're looking for features, you look, you're noticing things and thinking, oh, is that on the map? So it does slow you down. I've really, you know, I can't believe I spent so many years as an outdoor person without really looking, (laughs) without noticing all this nature around me. I just love it now. I saw a badger in my garden the other day. I was like, the shock of it. It's great. And just listening to the birds and being able to, you know, so blasé for us to see a curlew or a lapwing or a skylark. And other people come up here and they're just like, oh, wow, a curlew. And it's really lovely to connect like that. I mean, I was in down in Cambridgeshire and I saw a red kite. And I said, oh, look, a red kite. And they were just, oh, yeah, I get them all the time. So it's it's really interesting that, you know, familiarity does breed some contempt. But, yeah, I just, I think it does slow people down because they're, haf- they're having to really look both at the map and the terrain so they're noticing things as they go ar- along rather than thinking oh I'm going to do this 10 mile circuit and that's it so yeah it's been it's been a real journey 
Because I, I remember originally thinking, what's the point in finding... Why would I need to find that little ring contour or... <laughs> there is no need. <laughs> it's like, but now I go searching, you know, I look at a map and I think, oh, I haven't been to that one before. And now I actually go, do you think, yeah, there's something in that. And I think it is about getting to know the the landscape and, and also getting to the more remote places because... Of course, you know, there's a lot of people that want to go um, to the wall packs or to the <clears throat> particular points on Kinder Scout. But then there's so much more to it than maybe initially meets the eye. Mm. I think that's the, the joy of navigation, that you can just go off the beaten track and end up in places where there's total peace, uh, nobody else around. Sometime, I think I came up here, I can't remember if it was Easter or it was some holiday and the edges, I'd never seen so many people up on Kinder so off I trotted <laughs> through the bog uh, and it just gives you that freedom doesn't it, of really getting away from everybody else and getting away from it all and just being completely surrounded by nature fabulous Do you think that it has a particular character to it here because obviously there's similarities with the rest of the dark peak in terms of the gritstone rocks etc how would you describe the character of the place and maybe including its people i think it's it feels very unique for me it's full of different elements so the rocky outcrops and the, the interior and the peat and the gruffs and the hags I like that word um, <laughs> and the name stones and the trigs that can be sort of focus points but it feels manageable somehow like bleak glow I don't know as well and it, that feels much more of a expanse of nothingness Whereas Kinder, because it's got its edges and it's bound by these edges, it feels like a, a unique place, a really specific location. And having that, it just feels very, I feel very comfortable on Kinder. So it's, it's the, I think it is the fact that it's got the, this edge you know the edge all the way around so you're not going to get too disorientated and it does feel sometimes like a bit of an alien landscape I remember in the early days before all of the restoration work had been done over towards kinder low just feeling wow this is like being on the moon <laughs> it felt really lunar you know all this. just very very dry and sandy and desolate and i loved that um and that's, I do like, I prefer the dark peak to anything else. The people of Kinder, I mean, I know a few of the of people who live in Edale and who love this area and you know, people who work in Edale. They must, they must be the patient ones. <laughs> All of these people crowding in over the weekends, especially in the summer. But they do add something, you know, having that village down at the bottom so such a welcome rest at the end of a day so all the cafes and pubs and things 
Yeah, and the B&B owners. I'm, I came here for my 50th and I'm coming back for my 60th. It's just a very special village for me, Edale. I remember on the bronze course that I did with you, which was um, in another area of the Dark Peak, that you shared some of the history of the Peak Park. Do you think that the history of Kinderscout, or the history that we at least know of, do you think that adds an element of interest and intrigue for you and the people that you bring here? Yeah, I think a lot of people have heard of the Kindermas Trespass. And I always, on my navigation courses, I always do a little bit about access in the countryside. So we always discuss the history of access. <laughs> <laughs> the complication of access. <laughs> and some people haven't heard of it, but a lot of people have. And for me, it's really important to give that sort of nod to the fact that this is where it started. Kinder Mass Trespass was the start of the whole of the national parks access so it's got a real place in the history of uh, being outdoors and I always make sure I explain it to people on the courses and it does add that extra bit to know that this is you know the place that was chosen to protest the lack of access and now look at us I mean above Hathersage there's a bit called Carhead Rocks and just to think that before the Crow Act in 2000 the countryside right away you couldn't go near it and it feels really important to celebrate the fact that we can go near it now we can use it and yeah Kinder's a very special part of that and it should never be dismissed uh, and always remembered really good on you what makes you wild about Kinder Scout? Well, this is the question you asked me to prepare, and <laughs> <laughs> my mind went blank. So <laughs> I just really, I don't really know why I get such joy out of Kinder. I love the variety. As I said, you can choose your level of challenge. Personally, I like to have a bit of challenge on the main when I come up here. So I like to go off into the interior and explore and there's so much more to see and do up here so every day is different and it gives me a sense of freedom and certainly a sense of peace just being out in the middle of nowhere and but a feeling of being in a very remote place that is also very accessible mm. How are we going to get back to Edel? Well, <laughs> where are we going to go? <laughs> <laughs> I think we should just take it as it comes. We'll see where we go. Yeah, maybe some cake first. Maybe some cake that would help. <laughs>